You know, Dr. Todd still doesn't really need an introduction. I was kind of teasing him about it while we were between services. There's really not a need to introduce him to his family. For most of you, you've known Dr. Still as our interim pastor preceding my arrival here. But for me, I've known Todd a lot longer. We were much younger then uh, when the Lord crossed our paths, and we've crossed them multiple times and carried our friendship through the years. We are delighted, and I hope you'll join me in welcoming our friend Dr. Todd Still back home. Well, it's good to be at First Baptist Midland today. Wow, you all. So would you want to speak after you sang? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? Wow, I remember that um, I was in a gathering uh, as a college student, and the speaker got up to speak, and someone from the audience said, sit down, get the music group back up. Uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. So at... Um, at uh, 6 p.m. tonight, I, I know where I would be if I were going to be in Midland. So invite a friend, tweet about it, post it on Facebook, do Insta, get some folks to hear uh, these remarkable ministers linked to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, BK Bridge. I will not soon forget you all. Thank you for allowing me to uh, somehow connect with you this day. Could we just uh, pray together for a minute? I want us to just pray. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. Yet, glorious God, you became flesh and pitched a tent among us full of grace and truth, and we beheld the only begotten, of the Father. And so, Spirit of the living God, in these moments, as we look into Scripture, Word of God, speak. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. May your Word fall on fertile soil, reaping 30, 60, 100-fold. And as a result of our look at your book, may our lives look more Christ-like, more fully forged into the image and likeness of Jesus, who we love and long to be more like, and through whom we pray. Amen. It's a blessing to be here today. Uh, it feels like home. I have so many friends in this room. If I tried to name you by name, then I would certainly fail to mention all of you. But I want to say to my friends, David and Shelley Arrington, how much I love you. They put me up and put up with me while I was your interim pastor for almost 16 months, if I recall correctly. Uh, and I love them uh, like they were my brother and my sister. Thank you. Uh, for being here this morning. Do you have a Bible? Would you take it and turn it? If you don't have a Bible, uh, may I encourage you to get one? They have some around here. So um, I'm uh, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I think it's fair to say that of the letters of Paul, the book of Philippians has captured our affection. Uh, I'm not exactly sure all the reasons why, 
But I think one of the reasons why is we see an apostle and a people, a minister and members leaning into and looking to the Lord together, and we get a glimpse of what it could be like. And as Paul draws this remarkable letter to a conclusion, he offers us some instruction that we need to hear today. So I'm in Philippians 4 and 4. Let's listen to and for God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made manifest to all people. The Lord near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which outstrips all understanding, will build a garrison around your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, friends, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there is anything excellent and worthy of praise, calculate these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, these things do. And the God of peace will be with you. In Philippians 4, 5, there are three Greek words and four English words I want to turn our attention to. Paul, having said, let your gentleness be made evident to all people in tones. Ha kurios in goose. You say, sounds like Greek to me. It is <laughs> rendered the Lord near. You say, Paul forgot the verb. They supplied it. Let us. The Lord is near. If we were to ask Paul, how is God how is the Lord Jesus near? We would likely get one of two answers or perhaps both. The first would flow like this. The Lord is near us temporally. Throughout this little letter, Paul has spoken of the day of Christ on three separate occasions. Then at the end of chapter 3, Paul declares that our polituma, our citizenship, is in heaven from where we await a Savior who shall change the body of our humiliation into the body of his glory by the power that he has to subject all things, tapanta, even unto himself. So on the one hand, Paul anticipated that Jesus would come sooner than later. We anticipate that Jesus will come later than sooner if we ever even think about it anymore. Many of us grew up in contexts where we used to say, what if it were today? Many of us used to sing songs like, fix your eyes upon the eastern sky, lift up your heads, redemption draweth nigh. 
I think that one of the reasons that we don't think about the Lord's proximate coming much anymore is because there are a lot of people who have told us that they know too much about that proximate coming. But just because Revelation and other portions of Scripture have become a a happy hunting ground for cranks, this should not cause us to lose sight of the fact that all Christians and each generation have lived life in light of Christ's promised return. And he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And he shall reign forever and ever. Paul thought that and taught that. But I'm not so sure that's what he means here. I wonder when Paul says, the Lord near is not seeking to remind them and us. We read scripture, scripture reads us. That Paul isn't trying to say to us that the Lord is near spatially because he also thought and taught that. You see, Paul was a scripture scholar and a student of scripture. It's not enough to read the text until you allow the text to also read you. But as Paul found himself in that sacred collection of hymns, of songs, on every page, at every turn, he would be reminded, the nearness of God is our good. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. When he turns to his law in Deuteronomy, he finds in chapter 31, Moses saying to the people of Israel, you need not be afraid because the Lord will be with you. And yes, the prophet Isaiah saying to the exiled people of Israel, the Lord is with you. You need not fear. So I wonder here if Paul's primary point is not this. The Lord is as close as your very breath. And though unseen is more real than any other, and you need not doubt the reality of God, and you need not doubt the nearness of God. As Pastor Darren was concluding the first service He reminded us that God is not a bet Midler God. God is not a from a distance God. And you may sing that song with full-throated abandon. And it's a good song. It's just sorry theology. He's not only watching us from a distance. He has decided to come down to our level because we couldn't get up to his. There is one mediator between God and people, the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was what? Found in the form of God, he did not regard equality to be God in the same book, Philippians, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in human 
likeness. The Lord is near. The, the Lord is here. The Lord, if we go to heaven, he's there. If we make our bed in the depths of the earth, he's there. There is nowhere you can go that God is not because God is not the great I was. God is the great I am. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus squabbled with the Sadducees from time to time. But recall on that one occasion when they were asking Jesus who this man who had been married as it happens now seven times would be given to in marriage. And ultimately the upshot of this conversation with the Sadducees is that God is the God of the resurrection. The God of the living. So God is near and here and because this is true. It changes everything, including you and me. Because the Lord is near, we can and are called to be, watch this, joyful. It's right in the text. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Now, Paul is not a Johnny One Note. He's got several chords to play in this remarkable symphony that is Philippians. But one of the notes that he plays time and again is joy. I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it. J-O-Y. You know it. Sixteen times in this little letter, joy, rejoice, rejoice with. So, since Paul was not lacking for a vocabulary... It must mean that this is something that they needed and that we need. Unfortunately, joy is so frequently confused and conflated with happiness. That's unfortunate because serious Christ followers also have dark nights of the soul. Serious Jesus followers wonder, yes, to be honest, worry. We falter and we fret. So joy is not about some kind of easy breezy lemon squeezy. I think that's what it, that's how it goes. Joy is about the flag flown from the castle of our hearts when the king is in residence. Joy is the song of the beaten imprisoned Paul and Silas, singing songs in midnight in Philippi, that fair city, Rome, in miniature. It was A.W. Tozer who once said that Christians owe it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. So here's my question. Are you paying the world the debt you owe it? Because the truth of the matter is this, is that the joy that resides in your life can be a magnet to Christ, like moth to flame, can allow people to know that although all hell breaks loose, all heaven is coming to the rescue right in your life. What does James say? 
Consider it unadulterated joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sorrow may be for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the joy of the Lord, friends, is our strength. The Lord is near. Be joyful. The Lord is near. And because he is, we can be and are called to be gentle. That's not a word we use much anymore because we would prefer to be hostile. In the polarization that is our nation, if you don't like the other, you cast aspersions on her. You cast or throw shade on him. And the best way to operate in this world is, well, just call it like you see it. Don't put on the muzzle. <laughs> don't hold back. What filter? If you doubt me, just scroll through your social media account. See what that does for your soul. It'll cause it to shrivel, probably. Be gentle. This is not an admonition, an admonition given to people who are being treated gently. Earlier in the letter, we see that the Philippian believers are facing opposition from the Philippians. Paul knew and they knew that someone somewhere said, do not return evil for evil. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Love your enemies. Pray for the ones who are persecuting you. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and there you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many of you know off by heart the fruit of the Spirit. And as you look at one another's lives, there is evidence because a good tree is bearing good fruit. And we remind ourselves afresh this day that one of those fruit is gentleness. The Lord is near. He can cause us to be a non-anxious presence in the world. He can cause us to exude his grace because we're the only Jesus that some will ever see. We're the only words of life that some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need because you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. The Lord is near us. And because the Lord is near, we can be and are called to be joyful and gentle and prayerful right at the center of this remarkable passage in Scripture. These familiar words that have likely become all too familiar, so they wash over us and they don't lodge in us. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. The problem with this is that we're anxious about everything. 
Can I encourage you to do something? Well, you can. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it. But can I encourage you to do something? Sometime this week, maybe even this afternoon, go back to Matthew 6. Read verses 25 through 34 again. And when you do, you're going to hear this familiar refrain from the lips of our master. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about what you will eat or with how you will clothe yourselves. Take a look at the lilies of the field. Solomon in all of his splendor did not regale himself like one of them. Take a look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, but your heavenly Father cares for them. Remember that old poem? Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why those anxious human beings run around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I guess that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then again in Matthew, this remarkable section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus comes to the close of his instruction, he says, ask you will receive, seek, you'll find, knock, and the door will be opened for the one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it shall be open. Lord, listen to your children praying. We don't pray so that God will change things as much as we pray that God will change us. So that we can pray with unveiled face. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you note that our prayers are meant to be punctuated by thanksgiving? Did you see that? With thanksgiving. Earlier in this letter, Paul can enjoying the Philippian fellowship to do all things without grumbling or complaining. This word grumbling is an onomatopoetic word, gungusmos. It means that which it sounds like. Grumble, 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 grumble. We are good at grumbling. But last time I checked, whining is not a spiritual gift. It's not. And so, if we're going to allow the Lord to turn our mourning into dancing and our complaining into giving of thanks, we're going to need to allow these words to wash over us. You know, there is always going to be something that could be other or could be better. But one of the things that the Lord continues to teach me is we have so much for which to be grateful. Paul, in this expansive letter to the Corinthians, that we know as 1 Corinthians says, asks, what do you have 
that you have not received. And if you receive it, why do you boast as if though it were not a gift? All we have needed, thy hand hath provided. And note, as we pray, as we supplicate with thanksgiving, here comes God's peace to the rescue. And we know the peace of God and we know the God of peace and it fortifies us. It gives us the ability to ultimately see that in the words of Browning, God is in his heaven and all is right in the world. Or perhaps all shall be well, Julian of Norwich, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. The Lord is near. We're called, and you know what? We can be a joyful and gentle and prayerful and thoughtful people. Paul says that here's what we're to think because what we don't know will hurt us and the mind is a terrible thing to waste and since our minds are going to go somewhere Paul says let's direct our thoughts upward to the things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy Let's think about these things. I urge you, therefore, friends, by the mercies of God, not to be conformed to this world, but to be metamorphosed by the renewing of our minds. God is making all things new, including our hearts and our minds. He's changing us. We're not what we ought to be. But by God's grace, we're not what we used to be. We're marching to Zion. I have one more word, then I'm going to take my seat. And you say, that's good. <laughs> Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, do it. Do it. Because the Lord is near, we can be Faithful. We can, we can live fruitful lives. You shall know them by their fruits. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You do not do what I say. So we're called to put feet to faith. Because faith without works really is dead. And so the good word, the gospel word for us today is this. The Lord is near you. Draw near to God. God will draw near to you. And His presence, friends, it changes everything. It changes us. We can be joyful and gentle and prayerful and faithful. We can be thoughtful of that which matters. Early in this letter, Paul says to the Philippians, 
that he is convinced of this, confident in this, that the one who began a good work among them will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you is still at work, even as we are yielded to God, uh, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing this, you all, that we can do all things through Christ who is strengthening us. The call is to be mindful of God's presence. The Lord is near to you, to me, to us. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you are not a clockmaker God, getting everything going and then not wanting to get your hands dirty. We're grateful, God, that you have come to us. And you keep on coming. <laughs> because you said, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would never leave us or forsake us. So in this moment of response, as Pastor Darren leads, God, would you draw us afresh? Lord, if there are those who have never embraced your grace, the beautiful thing is that you're not standing with your arms crossed, but arms wide open. We're grateful that grace has a face and it's the face of the Lord Jesus and so we come to him. It may be that some are in search of a church home. May they find home and hearth right here. And Lord, in the event that there are things of which we need to repent, from which we need to turn, may we renew our covenant, our commitment to you in these moments of response. Lord Jesus Christ, we surrender all because you gave all. And may these be moments where we are able to sense your presence and to do your will through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.